Hi, I'm Oki, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Book. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About Your Book. I'm so excited to talk to author Kathy Ramsperger because her book is vastly fascinating. It's so out of this world for me because it's something I I normally don't read, but now I want to because it's so it's so cool. Actually, it's called A Thousand Flying Things, and I want you guys to say hi to Kathy today. Hi, how are you? I am fine. Okay, thank you so much for having me and. I want to say again, I love your podcast. This ah, is just thank you, awesome. thank you so much. That makes me so happy. I can I can have the rest of the day off now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's get into your book because I want this to be all about you. Um, for a thousand flying things, can you tell me what your book's about? Sure, it is a standalone sequel to Shore, the Shores of Our Souls. And it was published a while back. It centers around two star-crossed lovers who couldn't be more different in every way, culturally, chronologically, their religions, their worldviews, their position in society. I mean, it just keeps going. Plus, they've grown up across an ocean. So they accidentally fall in love one night under a disco ball. It's 1981. And friends and family just created a lot of chaos for them. This is pretty common even today, but in the 80s, it was just really hard. I write my own truth. It's fiction. I always say that the the plot is fiction, but imagined, but the, the love is real. So they end up not staying together. I think it's okay to say a spoiler after all these years. But I always kind of wanted to bring them together again. Mm-hmm. I hope I've resolved all the chaos or at the end of A Thousand Flying Things. I wanted to write about children in war because I covered war. I covered war in Rwanda, not South Sudan. But people just kept telling me their stories. And when you're a reporter, you have 15 seconds or a paragraph to tell an hour worth of an interview. And I wanted, I had all these notes that I saved And I wanted to tell their stories. They're obviously a composite and fictionalized, but that's why I started writing this particular slant in this book. So Diana is a humanitarian. She's teaching, ostensibly teaching children to read in South Sudan. She's been a humanitarian for about 10 years. South Sudan is at war. And it's a never-ending war, seemingly, because I just saw reporting out there and they're killing all the male children near Darfur. And she's pretty bummed because she knows that the boys aren't going to read English. And she and yet that's all they're sending her, English, English language books. And the boys are probably being trained for war out of her sight. Then she meets a boy that steals her heart, and he's way too young to be there. She's been teaching 
adolescence, and this is a five-year-old at most, he asks her to teach him to read English. So she thinks she has to save him, and she risks her life to do it. But there are all kinds of complications. She gets sick. She has to go to hospital in Nairobi, and she bumps into an old her old love, Kasim. there. He saves her life and begs her to not go back to South Sudan, mm-hmm. but she never listens to him. <laughs> and, and so they part, and she goes back and gets a message that her mother is very ill. And the rest is about whether they're going to stay together or not. This book, A Thousand Flying Things, is kind of like the English saying, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And the Sudanese say, a bird in the hand is worth, is better than a thousand flying things. Ah, I see. (laughs) It's about choices. And it's about a woman's choice between trying to save a child and being with the man she loves. But she's not seeing things exactly as they are which people will find out at the end of the book. A lot of humanitarians, and especially the ones that aren't experienced, just go into a territory and sort of think they know everything. And I wanted to show that too. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of white saviorism in her. She's not seeing the whole picture. And so it is the boy that leads her to the choice that's best for her, but it's not what she thinks is going to be the best choice. I'm so interested in this. This is so this is so cool. I kind of want to see a movie from this too, actually. But I definitely want to read the book. There's almost two different approaches to this with the boy and then with her love interest. How was it writing Diana's character? Really going through a lot of heart-wrenching things, actually. How was the writing process for her? It was really difficult writing about war, but that's always written about. And Mm -hmm. so I've developed this ability, and it might be my dysfunctional childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's okay. Where I can sort of remove myself, and I can see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I've been a writer all my life. And then reporting on really tragic things made me be able to do this even more. When I read passages now, my voice sometimes breaks because it hurts now. But when I was writing it, it was almost like I I was seeing it play out like a movie. He was mentioning a movie in Mm -hmm. front of my face and in, in, in my mind's eye. I did have to dig deep and yet it was sort of drawing from episodes in my own life and so it was easy and to write it it was really tough to edit it I just didn't know exactly which direction to go for the ending finally found it and it was in front of my face the whole time I have a friend who adopted a, a baby a Christian woman and a Muslim man up in the mountains had had a baby and it was abandoned because of the divergent religions. And Kasim is Lebanese. The ending is all about adoption, but perhaps not the adoption we think it's going to be. You're not telling me, are you? But that's okay. <laughs> Don't ruin it. <laughs> Don't spoil it. 
I feel like your book has so many elements in it that that I want to explore. Are you getting her point of view and anybody else's point of view? Yeah, in my first book, I put in Kasim's point of view. There was some talk and still is about writing in a Muslim man's point of view. I didn't know any better in the early 2000s when I wrote this. I'd always written stories about people that I knew. I obviously wrote my truth and what I see. And so I'm sure I'm, I stand to be corrected if I am wrong. But what happened when I put in that point of view, I just did it as backstory with my writing group. Mm-hmm. They fell in love with him his motivations, why he was like he was. But with the second one, I had his point of view in there at the beginning, but I took it out. Everything is in her point of view. It's solo point of view, but I back it up with other characters, women that she's worked with, South Sudanese family that she helps uh, in New York when she comes back to the States and dialogue. It's just dialogue mostly. Mm -hmm. I love writing in other points of view. It helps me see the character more, and I still do it for research. Uh, If I'm writing a book right now, I'm writing in a male point of view. For somebody, it's historical, more historical than this, because this history is 80s and 90s now, right? But I always write in the major character's point of view. They kind of talk to me. And this time I might put it back in, because... Uh, I have this really wonderful person, writer, who mentored me, Marita Golden, that just keeps saying, you do it, keep going, keep going. I feel like I've got one of the best African-American mentors there is. And and I don't see her very much anymore. I miss her. But she's the one. I wouldn't, these books wouldn't have been here if I hadn't gone to one of her workshops. That's for sure. Gotcha. But the first book is called The Shores of Our Souls. Before we get into A Thousand Flying Things, can you give me a little bit of a glimpse into the first book? Sure. They um, they meet, like I said, kind of by accident. Diana has been broken up with her fiancé for about a year or two. She drags her boss to this bar, and it's a place neither one of them go very much. Kasim has just gotten his PhD, and so he's there celebrating. He's supposed to meet somebody the person doesn't show up. And so they end up talking and then they just keep seeing each other. It's very complicated because he is divorced from an arranged marriage, but she doesn't find that out until the end. If then, (laughs) she's never quite sure, but in flying things, it's resolved. And he has a son that she never meets because the son is in Lebanon. And He's a politician, and so he's being torn back to his country. He's a diplomat and a politician. The first book is about all the things that they have to confront to stay together. And I didn't know whether to give it a real ending or a happily ever after ending. And I decided to stick with a literary voice and empower her. They both part, but they change each other dramatically. They leave each other transformed. And she's a researcher in New York, and she goes on to get a humanitarian job in Africa. Mm -hmm. And that's why we find her in the second book in Africa. And he goes on to try to save his country. 
But I love that. As we know about Lebanon, <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it might not have worked. <laughs> so, yeah. When you were writing The Shores of Our Souls, did you know there was going to be a second book? Did you plan on that? And on top of that, are you still continuing these characters? Because I feel like we're not done, especially there's an adoption at the very end of A Thousand Flying Things. So what are what were what was your approach on that? So I'd meant them all to be a trilogy. It's ah, I love that. <laughs> hard to get them published, I have to admit. And so it does depend on getting the third one out. I think that this one is really catching on. Yay. Yay. Um, <laughs> and so I think there will be a third. I wanted the first one for them to meet on fairly neutral territory in her home. She's from North Carolina, and they meet in New York where they're both working. And then I wanted them to be apart and mm-hmm. back together in a neutral place, Africa. And then I want her to go to his homeland gotcha. and experience what it's like to be an immigrant there. It, it's not going to be easy because she hasn't met his family. She hasn't met his son. It's not completely written right now, but I've got an outline of of all the things that they can confront in Lebanon. And they might just come back here for a little bit. We'll see. <laughs> it's so <laughs> fascinating how authors plan this out, especially more than a book. I've always wondered how much you've already planned out versus what comes to you little by little. And I like how you're like, maybe this will happen. Well, stay updated. (laughs) I have a general idea in my mind. And this image of a couple meeting under a disco ball was how it all started. (laughs) I wanted to write something after 9-11 because I wasn't seeing anything solid about Arab characters. So that was my motivation. But then I kind of walked around thinking, what can I write about that brings in what has happened to me and all the Arab men that I've worked with and known and I loved one, that disco ball just because it's about all the different perspectives, all those little little reflections. So then they just started talking to me. And I know if I start writing on the third one, because I've written parts of it, if I really get back into it, it's just going to play like a movie again. So then I have to go back in and I have to plot because <laughs> I'm definitely a character-driven <laughs> writer, <laughs> but I don't want the plot to intrude when I'm in that space, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like not only this is character-driven, but it's also space-driven, meaning the countries that you're exploring or the cities that you're you're including in your books. I love that it's cross country. It's global. I think it's fascinating places that I want to read more and more about. So thank you for doing all this. I know you like to travel like me. Yes. <laughs> yes. I wish and I could just do it all the time. Oh, me too. <laughs> and I was just so lucky that I had a job that paid me mm-hmm. and I, and I got to help people. And so this is partly me giving back. I wanted to do it to, you know, I I read recently in Forbes, I think, that 11% of Americans haven't haven't traveled outside their state, and 40% have never left the country. Yeah, many want to travel. 
country. So I wanted something that would show what travel does for people too. Mm, it opens up. And if you can't travel outside the country, find somebody who's traveled in and, you know, invite them to dinner or something. Right. I, I've always been so fascinated whenever I travel and I, I always say things like, so this is where you live. This is normal for you. I'm used to freeways and buildings and this is this is what you see when you wake up. This is so amazing. I I love I love hearing about it and reading about it. But let's get back to you, Kathy, though. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you've told me plenty about you and this book so far, what else can you tell me about you as an author? So I was first published. I I I really do have a writing gift. I was first published at sixteen. Ah, always written about connection. I was given an assignment by my creative writing teacher in high school. Again, lucky that we had a creative writing department. Right. Uh, yeah. I wish we did. <laughs> back then it was almost unheard of. I don't know how this happened, but um, <laughs> Mr. Coffee was his name. He gave us an assignment where it was the world was about to end and there were the remaining people were trying to figure out who lived and who died. And I wrote a story called The Gossamer Thread, where by cooperating with each other, they all lived. And so I sent it to, maybe he sent it, it's been a long time ago, <laughs> a university competition and I won. And so it was published in their journal. And that put the writing bug in me, but we didn't have a lot of money. Um, my mom was sick and we didn't have any health insurance and so Kismet just came in and I went to this great writing college. It's not as much anymore because there's so many, but back then it was the place to go. I went on full scholarship at the last possible minute and I just wrote my little heart out. But then after I had to earn a living and so I, I became a journalist, mm -hmm. but I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to write fiction. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing this trilogy. I, I I personally think you're crazy brave to really put this, all your experiences in paper like this, because I, I need people like this <laughs> to where you, you're willing to explore cross cross culture, because it's it's so common now, truly, to fall in love with somebody in a different culture to have conflict as in relationships and connections. So this book is, is, is becoming like a norm, like a thing to read. So thank you, Kathy. This is great. Well, thank you for your kind words, Oki. Um, there were times that I did feel like it was a brave thing to do, but I knew I had to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think I said that I started this in 02 and 03. Like I... I wrote the first draft in 02 and 03. So it was a tough time here mm -hmm. in our country. And there are tough times even now. And I wondered what I'd say if I put myself out there. But I also know that it is just something that people are dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. Are with multicultural families, no matter how it's done. There's the navigation of differences. And that's what I wanted to portray in the first book. And the second book, I wanted to show that the differences can work 
that they're for the good and not anything but good. And that if we just communicate and connect and empathize a little bit with each other, whether we're in a family or not, we're just one big family, that we can work it out. See, this is why I think books are so important. And, you know, I argued with someone the other day because he said that only the important books are the nonfiction because it's more, it's real, it's about humanities. And and I said, absolutely not. I think both fiction and, and nonfiction are important because even in a fictional world, you can pull so many things that you can relate to or that you have hopes for. And and I think books like this, even though it's entertainment, there's there's so much heart in it and you can learn a lot from it. So... <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think that I was able to tell the truth as I see it better in fiction than if I had been sticking to all the facts. First of all, I couldn't have talked about the people that I interviewed because the Red Cross has the rights to my writing. And I, you know, there's neutrality and, and and... all that kind of thing that would have come into it. I did ask people that I was able to find to read sections that were reminiscent of them. I couldn't have done it in nonfiction. And the message I don't think would have been as clear. It would have been me kind of standing up at a podium going, this is what happened. All right. I love it. So Kathy, where can we get your books? Well, you can get them all over the place, uh, all the online retailers and bookstore, you'd be able to order them in a bookstore, your local bookstore, if you need to. And that includes Amazon and and Barnes and Noble and very pro indie bookstores. So uh, bookstore.org has has my book too, as well as several indie bookstores now. And it just came out. So I'm hoping to just spread the love. I'm hoping Um, so too. Uh, you can always order my book through my website, katherinebrownramsberger.com. It's with a P, not a B. And if you still can't find my website, even though it, my name will probably be on, be on this podcast, just Google the name of my book, A Thousand Flying Things, and you'll be able to find it. And if you order through there, you'll get a free cookbook i i was gonna ask i thought it was exciting because i was going through your website i was like yes what is this it's so cool <laughs> it's west cookbook it's got family recipes my parents have passed and so they're no they're no longer here to say you can't publish my recipe and, <laughs> uh, recipes from africa and and recipes from middle east some of the middle eastern recipes are from friends some are some of them I've cooked myself for a long time. My family loves that kind of food. Nice. Me too. Oh, I'm so glad I've met you. I've, I'm so glad I got to talk to you today and you giving me some time. Thank you for coming by today and just exploring these books with me and tell me about your cookbook. This is awesome. Any last minute thing you want to say, Kathy, before we go? I just want everybody to be kind to each other and to themselves. That's the message I want people to walk away from my books with. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to say in every way I can. And thank you so much for having me. Okay. Uh-huh. It's my pleasure. 
I always say I get the fun stuff. I get to talk to the celebrity. I I get to read the books and you guys do the hard work. So I'm the one that's getting excited. But I will let you go, Kathy. I hope you come back to talk to me when you have your third book out so we can complete talking about this trilogy and so forth. So I will talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks, Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me About Your Book. Please continue to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And if you would love to support Tell Me About Your Book podcast, you can certainly do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash tellmepodcast. For a price of a coffee, you can support monthly for just $5. There's other tiers too in the memberships, and you can look at all the info about it. And I would certainly, certainly appreciate it. And of course, there's the other podcast, Books, Cats, and Snacks, where Caddy and I talk all things book and about her cats too. See you then.